stop me if you've heard this one. No, don't. So a terrible storm, flash flood hits this town, and they have a very short time to evacuate. And a man is standing on his porch, and he sees the next-door neighbors backing out in their car, and they say, come on, get in the car. You don't have much time. He says, no, I'm waiting for God. God is going to be my rescue. Floodwaters come. So now he's on the second floor and the water's coming up. It's over the first floor. It's coming up to the second floor and a boat comes and a man in a boat pulls up to the window and he says, come on, this may be your last chance. Come on, get in the boat. Uh, we'll, you know, I'll save you. And the man says, no, I'm waiting for God. God is going to rescue me. Water keeps coming up. He's up on the roof. He's on the peak of the roof holding on to the chimney. And all of a sudden, a helicopter comes and a ladder drops down. And uh, the man, uh, rescue man, uh, man comes down the ladder and he says, Come on, this is your last chance. Grab my hand. This is it. If you don't come now, you're not going to make it. And he says, No, I'm waiting for God. He's going to rescue me. I've been praying and God's going to rescue me. No, the man dies. He's pretty angry about it, too. So when he gets to heaven, he walks up to Peter, and apparently Peter is the like the Walmart greeter for heaven, apparently. And he says, I'm really upset. He says, um, I'm not supposed to be here. I prayed for God to rescue me. And Peter looks at him, and he says, he gets his clipboard, and he goes through his clipboard. He says, oh, that is surprising. He says, we sent a car, a boat, and a a helicopter. God helps those who help themselves, right? Jay Leno, when he was the host of The Tonight Show, used to do a bit, and he called it jaywalking. And um, on one of the segments, and so jaywalking, he would ask random questions. They might be questions of American history or any topic. But on this particular night, he asked the people on the street uh, the question, uh, what was one of the Ten Commandments? Simple question. What's one of the Ten Commandments? There's ten of them, right? you got ten to choose from. The most popular response given was, God helps those who help themselves. Okay. The majority of Americans hold this belief. 80% of Americans believe this statement. 65% of born-again Christians agree with this statement. 75% of American teenagers said they believe this statement is the central message of the Bible. (laughs) Now, we in America believe that people need to work and earn a living. The majority of Americans believe God helps people as they help themselves. That's the American way. We do this with our kids, don't we? When when they go off to college, we say, listen, we'll help you out, but you need to get a job to help pay for some of the bills and so you won't have great loans when you get out of school. So we, we say, you do your part and then we'll help you. We'll help you if you help yourself, right? Now, where did this where did this statement come from? God helps those that help themselves. You've probably heard of Aesop's fables. 
And one of the one of these Aesop fables, there's a man who is uh, his wagon is stuck in in the mud and he cries out to Hercules and he says this, oh, Hercules, help me in this hour of distress. But Hercules appears to him and says, tut, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. (laughs) Translation, God helps those who help themselves. And even you go to Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin put in his uh, Poor Richard's Almanac in 1756, God helps those who help themselves. Now, there is some support for this statement in the Bible. There is some support for the idea that if we are an able-bodied person, we have to take care of ourselves and we need to manage uh, our, our lives, Right? So I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And it's on page 909 of your chair Bible. 909, 2 Thessalonians 3. And I'm going to start reading at verse 6. Here's what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. Page 909, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a couple things he says here. Number one, it's a command. It's not an option. Number two, it's in the the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is authority going on here. And he says this, stay away from all believers who live idle lives. Translation, lazy. And don't follow the tradition they receive from us. For we, you know... That you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. For those of you that don't know, the Apostle Paul was bivocational. He was a tent maker. He made tents as, and that helped pay for his travels doesn't mean everybody and every pastor and every missionary needs to do that. That's what Paul did. So essentially what he's saying is when we were with you, it wasn't like we were depending on you to do everything. Now, notice what else he says here. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. So Paul was reminding the people of Thessalonica that when he was with them, he pulled his own weight. He was an able-bodied, he was an able-bodied man who had a responsibility to do his part and care for himself and others if possible. If they knew of people who were taking advantage of persons' generosity, generosity, they did not pull their own weight. They, they were instructed to hold back generosity and call them out and get them up to work. So the principle for, of working, not being lazy, not taking advantage of those who are working, is taught in the Bible. So God, there is a principle here that you need to take care of yourself. Okay? If you're able, you need to take care of yourself. If you can work, you need to get a job. You shouldn't rely upon others. Don't be lazy. Right? But he also, the main point of the Bible, though, the main message of the Bible is that God helps those who can't help themselves. That's all over Scripture. God helps those who can't help themselves. 
Now, there's a couple areas where it, it's pointed out of those groups that can't help themselves. What about the poor, the lonely, and the homeless, the helpless? Look at Leviticus chapter 23. This is on page 98 of your chair Bible. Page 98, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. Page 98, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor, the foreigners and the, and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So this is a, a principle that's laid out in the Old Testament that those who had fields, who were harvesting their fields, were to leave the edges of the field for the poor. And if they dropped some, just leave it for the poor. Uh, so God established a principle of provision for the poor. Fields were to be left partially fallow for the poor. The edges of the field were to be left so the poor could glean from the edges of the field and feed their families. In fact, if you read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, Ruth is sent to a field to glean so she and her mother-in-law would have food to eat because they were poor. Interestingly enough, she's not gleaning on the edges of the field. She's like walking right behind the harvesters. So she comes home with a boatload of food and, and her mother-in-law goes, what is going on here? You got a lot more than you should have. And essentially, you know, she realizes he's fallen, she's fallen into favor with the owner of the field and all that's going on. Read the book of Ruth. You'll get that. But the principle behind that was that if you had a field, you left the edges for the poor. You needed to take care of the poor. Proverbs 19.17 says this, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and He will repay you. So there's a really pretty important principle in the Old Testament of taking care of the poor. James chapter 1, one more verse, page 930. You might want to turn there. This is a great passage of Scripture because essentially James is all about you say you have faith, but you don't have any actions to back it up. That question your faith in the first place. He says, I'll show you my faith by my actions. That's the whole theme of the book of James. In James chapter 1, verse 27 on page 930, he says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means... Caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So he says two things. Number one, be generous to the poor and the widows, those who are marginalized, those that need help, and keep yourself pure from the world. That's, that's how you really will please God. Now, God wants us to look out for the poor, the disenfranchised of our society, the orphans and the widows, those who are helpless, those who can't care for themselves. He says, you as my people, as my church, have a responsibility to take care of those who can't take care of themselves, who have needs. So in that sense, God helps those who can't help themselves using people like you and me. The church is called to be God's hand, God's legs, God's help, to the poor, to the, the, the orphans, to the widows, to those who are disenfranchised and marginalized in society. But there's another group of people who can't help themselves. So my premise is that God helps those who know they can't help themselves. Right? So we talked about the poor and the widows and the disenfranchised, those that can't help themselves. But what about the lost? 
This is where we jump into everyone in this room. God can only help those who know they can't help themselves. Everyone in this room was lost. And I don't mean getting to this building. (laughs) Though you might have gotten lost getting here. But uh, that's not what I mean. Everyone in this room was lost. Spiritually lost. In fact, you may be here in this room right now. You may be in this building right now and you are lost and you don't even know it. I want to read you a passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is on page 895. I know I got you jumping around a lot, but hey, I'm giving you the page numbers, so what are you complaining about, right? You always complain about that stuff, right? No, I'm kidding. You don't. I'm just saying that. Maybe you do, but you never tell me, so I don't really care. Um, Ephesians chapter, and I don't want to hear it after the service either if you're going to complain. Page 895, Ephesians 2. Paul basically puts it right between our eyes here. He says, once you were dead, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life, and He raised Christ. When He raised Christ, let me try that again. Even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. As a... Uh, married man, I have been asked this question, and maybe you, you married men have been asked by your wives as you're in the car, are you lost? You will never, ever answer that question in the affirmative. You know, you know, no, I am lost. I wish I had some help. Do you know where we are? Can you give me some advice? That'll never happen. You'll say, I know I'm on the earth. I know I'm in America because we haven't crossed the body. And we're, I know I don't think I'm in Canada because we didn't go under, or Mexico because we haven't gone through any borders. I'm not lost, technically, but I don't know where I'm at. And, and what Paul basically is saying to us is you are all not just lost, you're dead, spiritually dead. Now, what does that mean? Spiritually speaking, every one of us is born lost. We were born dead. We, we, until we acknowledge our lostness, our deadness, it's hard to be found. And Paul describes us as spiritually dead. We are unable to resurrect ourselves. Spiritually speaking, we are not pursuing God, Paul says in Romans. We are not looking for God. We are looking for everything else but God. We don't know what, who God is. We are dead. Secondly, we're not only dead, we're deceived. Paul says we're deceived. Uh, he, he basically says we're under the commands of the enemy of this world. We live according to our sinful passions and nature. We follow the course of the world. So here's our problem. Up till now, here's what Paul's saying. Our problem is we think we're alive, but we're dead. And we think we see, but in reality we're blind. Not only that, Paul basically says we're depraved. 
that we didn't enter this world with a blank or clean slate. We are natural born sinners. Isn't it funny? You can have your first child and have them in this perfect environment of you and your wife, you and your husband, and you have perfect ideals and you've used the perfect language. And all of a sudden they have no kids around them, but they learn words like no and tant. They throw tantrums and you say, where did they learn that? We never taught them how to do, throw a tantrum. We never taught them that word no. And yet it's almost like they've They've had that vocabulary built in. Some would say, well, the problem is the environment. If we could put them in a perfect environment, then, 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 and that's the problem. If we fix the environment, we'll fix the person. The problem with that, Adam and Eve had the perfect environment, didn't they? They had a, the, the most perfect environment that you could ever have. And they didn't have the sin nature that we come. We, they, they, had, they literally had a clean slate. They, they were perfect, and they were in a perfect environment, and they failed. They sinned, right? So the problem is in our environment. We sometimes say, well, it's ignorance. We just need to educate. So the problem is, if we tell people what's right and wrong, if we show them uh, what to, then, then that will fix the thing. And, and we're all about that today. In our pop culture, we say our problem is people don't know enough, if they knew enough. Let me just say this. Most people, when they do things and they say things and they hurt people and they do terrible things, it's not like they, they go, oh, I just wish I had more information. They know. They, 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 they don't need more information. That's not their problem. There's something deeper going on under the surface. And basically, Paul says we're depraved. Our problem is that we're lost. And Christ came to earth and he gave his life. And he gave us life by giving his life. He came to earth to give his life to give us life, to make us spiritually alive, to resurrect us, to give us a new start. Now, uh, remember when Jesus, his friend Lazarus, died? And Jesus waited uh, an extended time. He wanted to make sure Lazarus was really dead before he went to the tomb. And, you know, and they had called him and he says, no, I'm going to wait. And the disciples said, well, we should get there now because he, he might still make it. He says, no, we're going to wait. And then he really died. And so he gets there and Mary and Martha separately come out. And they say, well, you know, Lord, if you had been here, you wouldn't have died. Yeah, I know. Okay. So he's dead. And, and so Jesus says to, he says, roll the stone away because he's coming out. And uh, they say, no, he's like, he smells. He's decaying. He's so dead. Now, think about that for a minute. At the, tomb of Jesus, at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus doesn't say, okay, Lazarus, you're going to need to do your part. So you get up and walk out, and I'll tell you to, to resurrect. It doesn't work that way. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say to Lazarus, he says, uh, Lazarus, you take the first step, and then I'll, I'll jump in there. Why? Because he's dead. He can't take the first step. And that's the point that Paul's making. Until Jesus comes in and resurrects us. Spiritually speaking, they can't take the first step. We're spiritually dead, we're helpless and hopeless, and we need a Savior. That's what it comes down to. It's pretty, it's pretty significant, it's pretty dire. 
Paul says this. Turn over here for a moment to Romans chapter 4. And I don't have this in your notes because I don't have any of your verses in your notes, but uh, it's on page 859. And Paul says this. It's very significant. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 4. It's on page 859. He says this. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. And that's true, right? Most of you work this week, and maybe you got paid this week, or you're going to get paid next week. When you get the check, it's not the boss doing you a favor. You've earned that, right? You, this is money that you've earned. This is not grace. This is, this is something that you have worked, and you deserve this check. Hopefully you worked hard enough for it, but that's a whole other discussion. But notice what he says. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people who are counted righteousness, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So what Paul's saying is, when grace comes into our lives, we can't say, well, I earned that, or I deserved that, or I, I made this happen. It, God just graces us. When Christ came to earth, He who knew no sin became sin for us. He gave His life so that we could live. He did that as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Paul says over and over that we haven't earned our forgiveness. It is given to us as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is this. God saves and delivers those who are hopeless, those who are helpless. Grace means we are receiving the mercy of God the help of God. God helps those who know they need help. They need grace. They need forgiveness. And they need life. And there's a lot of people in this community, maybe in this room, who think, well, i got to do my part and God's got to do His part. And I just want to tell you, that's like Lazarus getting up out of his tomb as he's dead and taking the first step. Until God makes you alive, you're not going anywhere. Dead men don't walk. So, The principle here is, spiritually speaking, everyone in this room is dead. Until God makes us alive, we're not taking any steps. We need a Savior. God doesn't help those, spiritually speaking, who help themselves. He helps those who know they can't help themselves. And they cry out to Jesus and they say, help me. So my question as we close is this. Have you ever come to see yourself as spiritually dead? Have you ever done that? Has there ever been a time, you know, you don't like to admit it as a man that you're lost to your wife. And you don't like it as a person to admit that you're spiritually dead. And that no matter how good you think you are, how many times you go to church, or how many faith traditions you follow, you, 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 it's hard to bring yourself to a place to realize that all of those the book of Jeremiah says are filthy rags and get us nowhere. That we really need a Savior and that's why Jesus came. The reason we do the meal is to remind us that we need a Savior, that we needed salvation, that we couldn't save ourselves and that the God of the universe got off of His throne and came to earth and climbed up on a cross and He says, I love you this much that I gave my life for you. I gave... My life is a sacrifice for you so that you could live. I died so you could live. Have you ever come to a place to see yourself as spiritually dead? Have you ever called upon Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm dead. 
And without you, I have no hope. I realize I'm lost. I'm dead. And until you come into my life, I will have no life. But when you come into my life, I will find life. I will find forgiveness. I will find hope. I will find my purpose. I will find everything when you come in. Have you invited Jesus to come into your life? He gave his life for you. Have you given your life to him? Remember the story, and I'm going to close with this, about the prodigal son. And the father was waiting every day for his wayward son to return back. And when his son finally did return back, um, they threw him a party. And the older brother came out. And he was kind of upset. He says, well, wait a minute. He, he's, a, you know, he's, a, he's a derelict. He, and what, what happened to the younger son? The younger son came to a place where he realized, I'm lost. I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. I can't help myself. And he came back to his father. And his older brother was very upset. He says, he says, I've always been with you. I've been following the rules. I've been doing my best. I've been pulling my weight. There's a lot of people that have that view. I'm doing my part. God helps those who help themselves. I'm doing my part. And you know what the father said? He said, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. How is it with you? Are you trying your best, like the older brother, to do enough, to help God out, to get it together? Or have you come to your senses like the younger brother and says, What have I done? Where am I going? Where am I going to find hope? Where am I going to find forgiveness? He came to, it says in there in that story, when he came to his senses, he turned and came back to the Father. And he says, Father, I need help. <laughs> and that's where he found grace. He understood he was dead. He understood he was lost. And he found life. And he found forgiveness. How is it with you? Does God help those who help themselves? Spiritually speaking, no, He doesn't. God helps those who can't help themselves. But if you can't bring yourself to say, I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless, you're not going to find grace. You're not going to find mercy. You don't understand the gospel. The gospel is God reached down to people who are helpless and hopeless. And He gave His very best Son as a sacrifice. And through, their, through His death, they find life. Have you found that life? I hope so. Let's pray. And so, Father, I pray that if anyone is here today and they have never prayed to ask Christ to come into their lives to be their Savior, today would be that day. They might pray a prayer like this. Dear Father, I realize I'm lost, spiritually dead, and unless you call me out, unless you save me, Unless Jesus comes into my life, I have no hope. I have no forgiveness. I have no life. As Jesus gave his life to me, I now give my life to him. And I ask Jesus to come into my life and to give me the forgiveness and life that I desperately need. And Father, if anybody prayed that prayer, I pray that they would let somebody else know 
I asked Jesus to come into my life to be my Savior. Because they may, be, may have been praying for them. But I pray, Father, that uh, no one would leave this place thinking, spiritually speaking, I'm going to do my best to get to heaven. And Jesus can pick up the slack. I pray that they would understand that without Jesus, there is no hope. And spiritual people don't walk. They don't talk. They're dead. And they need a Savior. And everyone in this room desperately needs a Savior. And I thank you for Jesus who came to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who gave his life so that we could live. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.